0: is where we will be. It is good to see uh, some of you back. We're missing some people from the last couple weeks. We do know that it's summertime. we got a lot of campers here. Uh, if you saw my Facebook post like two weeks ago with all the, the, the monster truck or not the, the dirt track rally with the campers behind the, the pickup trucks and stuff like that, that reminds me of our HBC crew the first camping weekend pulling out of Elkview and Pinch and everywhere else slamming into each other and going as fast as they can to get where they're going. So we got some people missing this morning, but it's good to have others. Uh, take the time after service to stop and chat and just enjoy each other's company. You've got inside, you got outside. Uh, the news this week has been a little chaotic as far as what we're doing with this virus thing, uh, trying to figure out what is happening and who is actually knows what they're doing and who's giving correct information. So I will remind you, we have masks here. Uh, the church is being cleaned weekly. Uh, we're maintaining kind of a, a pretty um, a firm grip on where people are and how often we're at church. So we're doing all those things. So, I'm praying that you come in peace. Uh, I also uh, want to just remind everyone that living, um, I mean, living solo and living isolated is not going to end well for anybody. Uh, A certain piece of all the chaos of the last month has got to be directly tied to the idea that everybody is fearful, worried. We're fighting an enemy that we can't see. I don't know if you got it. You don't know if I got it. And we're just running around trying to make the best of it. But that can only last so long, okay? So we have got to uh, get to the point where we've got some peace. We're taking precautions, and we're doing what we can, okay? That being said, we're all riding this together. So they can tell us a million different things right now, and as soon as November rolls back around and the weather gets nasty again, we're going to be right back into the middle of something else. So we're making uh, plans and uh, putting them in place, and we're doing the best we can with the knowledge that we have. Brings me back to the idea that it's always uh, the, the trust and authority that's been broken in our culture in the last 40 to 50 years, 100 years, whatever it is, doesn't help anybody. Because when you're looking for information, if you don't trust who's given it, we're all in trouble, right? That's basically the definition of anarchy. So we need, to, uh, we need to just keep plugging along. You can make your thoughts and your issues known to the leadership team, and we are funneling in as much information as we can as we make decisions. Does that make sense? All right. So we're listening to you, so you let us know what we can do and how we can better accommodate what's going on. That being said, this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 24, sermon title for this morning is Dealing with Difficult People. Dealing with the difficult. Now, in a decade of being here, I am notorious for not having any clue what day it is on Sunday. But, I did make this one fit, and you're going to see. You're going to see, because this is an amazing story. So where have we been the last couple weeks? Well, if you remember, and I'm bringing back Saul's uh, the idea of who Saul is and what he's doing, because his story continues to intersect with David's, and they're important. So who was Saul? Well, about a month ago, we talked about the idea that Saul was the king of fears, right? He was green-eyed and yellow-bellied. He he was uh, he, he wanted what David had. He was worried, and he became fearful, and he started to make bad decisions based off of that covetous attitude he, he longed for what David had he longed for what he thought David was going to take and in that he starts to make bad decisions he dishonors an honorable person then we talked about the story of David as it coincided with that where well, here is this young man who is who has slain Goliath who has been a hero for his people and now he's running for his life and he's hiding and a certain piece of his heart had to whisper it should be better than this and so we talked about that idea, that sometimes in your life you're going to whisper, it should be better than this, I've paid my dues, I've made the right decisions, I've done this, I've done that, I've tried to honor my Lord, I've tried to honor my people, I've tried to do this and that, why is it all falling apart? That is a, that is a completely justifiable response at times. And I told you to go into the Psalms and you would see it on repeat, to go into Job and you would see that on repeat. God is okay with that kind of reaction as long as you take it to Him. As long as you vent in His presence where the Holy Spirit can minister to you, where the the throne of righteousness and the throne of glory is there to basically bookend that frustration, God will care for you. And when you get to the Psalms and when you get to Job, what you and I see is the Lord takes those people and He cares for them and He loves on them, just something extra special. But if you and I take the idea, Thomas Watson writes, Satan loves to fish in troubled waters of a discontented heart. If we take that idea that it should be better than this, and we go the opposite way, we turn from the Lord, we go into hiding, we get frustrated, we get bitter, you can guarantee that what follows is going to be a disaster. It is coping mechanisms that aren't... Helpful. It's isolation that ends up eating you alive. It is is detachment from God because there's no thankfulness there. There's no praise there. And so you know that what's next is going to be a disaster. So that's where we talked about David running for his life. It should be better than this. And last week we talked about the idea that David was a man of honor. Right? And I told you last week, we need to honor those around us. You need to honor the extravagant. You need to honor those that are dedicated to you in your life. You need to honor the crude, which is the idea of not perversion, but earthy or unrefined. Those that live life with you. We need to honor them. Why? Because when, when the ditch is being dug, they're there with you. Right? When the mess is being cleaned up, they are there with you. Honor the crude, those that will live an unrefined and earthy life with you. We need to honor the tender, those that hear what you have to say and actually pay attention. We need to honor those that are participating. They just show up. They're just there constantly. It's on repeat, and they're there. We need to honor those people. And finally, last week when we finished uh, in 2 Samuel, we looked at the idea that we need to honor the righteous and we'll get to Uriah's story uh, in the future. But the idea of Uriah in that passage, we have no clue what kind of warrior we was. What we do know about him in Scripture is that he was a man that was amazingly righteous. That he was more righteous drunk than King David was sober. That's how righteous this man was. And I finished last week with this idea, so we went to 2 Samuel, then we rotated all the way back into 1 Samuel chapter 22. Where did that band of mighty men start or come from? It came from the, the misfits and the menaces of 1 Samuel 22. The cave at Adullam is where these people start to gather. There are 400 men that gather to David there in First Samuel 22, and they are an absolute train wreck. They're messy, they're dirty, they're in debt, they're frustrating. The Bible even says bitter of soul. Like this is a real ragtag bunch. But by the end of David's life, what do we see? He honors many of them with the title of his mighty men. It's an amazing story for you and I to, to pay attention to where we're meeting people and what we expect out of them. So those are the places we have been. And so today we turn to 1 Samuel verse 24. Looking still at the story of, of David and King Saul. And when we get into this passage, like it's, just, it's, it's lesson on lesson. Just lessons on lessons on lessons. You just read through 24 and there's a nugget and there's a nugget and there's a nugget. I want to share some of them with you. And then at the end, I'll actually wrap it up in the idea of what it looks like to deal with difficult people. But I want to read you the story first because I don't want to break it up yet. I want you to see it all play out. Look at verse, uh, verse 1. When Saul returned, following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. That's why we had to send the kids out of here. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. That is a very important statement. There are very few in this passage that are more important than that. You can do to him as seems good to you. David's, David's men are looking at David and saying, there is the king. You can do to him as seems good to you. What a powerful peak the rest of this passage is into David's heart. Then David arose, stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. An immediate grieving. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 7. So David persuaded his men and with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you, may the Lord avenge me against you. By my hand shall not, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. Now do you see why it was so important? Do you see the connection? David's men look at him and say, "The Lord has given him to do what's right to you." What does David's heart scream? Out of the wicked come wickedness. Out of the wicked come wickedness. He's thinking about this the whole time, processing these pieces as he's interacting with the king. But my hand shall not be against you. Verse 14. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog. What a humble position. After a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Verse 20. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home and David and his men went up to the stronghold. You see, this passage illustrates for us a life skill that few people have ever mastered. Most of us aren't even novice at dealing with frustrating people, at dealing with obnoxious people, at dealing with people that really, in their heart of hearts, uh, they, tend, they want to harm us. Whether it be by character assassination or physical violence, There are people out there that desire our harm. And God gives us the opportunity within the context of Scripture, within the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that you and I can learn how to not only deal with them, but do it well. And I have to frame these things for us constantly with a worldview that transcends this life. Because not every bad thing that's been done to you, not every person that has wanted to harm you or wish you ill is going to get theirs in this lifetime. You know, that's hard to deal with, but sometimes they actually go out on top. Look at world dictators. Look at people in our own government. They're there for four or five decades. They go out on top. Health care paid, big pension, big savings account. Their families loaded and taken care of like but how can this wickedness just continue to go Lord sometimes people go out on top but our world view doesn't allow that to be the end of the story do you and I understand that because that piece of this puzzle will change the way you and I operate with people that are vicious and obnoxious and difficult and why is that because our time doesn't run out when that last heartbeat happens that's promotion that's graduation. Like maybe we gotta start dressing ourselves up in suits and ties and cap and gown and taking pictures, right? The day it happens, we'll celebrate graduations all the way up into the next life. But if our worldview doesn't create that atmosphere, then this lesson we'll never learn it. Why? Because it makes absolutely no earthly sense, and it, it, it rotates right into almost everything Jesus teaches. Love your enemy, right? Do good to those that persecute. I mean, this is these are crazy things the world can't understand. This passage gives us a piece of what it looks like. Verses one to three. I, I love how this passage starts. For the proud and the self-sufficient, life is its own trap. It really is. I mean, this is King Saul. Right now, at any moment, around him are three thousand trained soldiers, and God puts him in the one position that makes him vulnerable. Absolutely vulnerable. He got to go to the restroom. And unless you're a high school boy in a really horrible locker room, you like to do that privately. So nobody else is there, right? That's the situation solved. So the king of Israel is now in a completely vulnerable position. For many times in life, some of these people that are doing all these wicked things, life itself will set the trap. It's not always the case. But life itself will make them vulnerable. For the proud and the self-reliant, the self-sufficient, life is its own trap. Look at Isaiah 48, actually says this. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. So we've seen this before, and there's a whole psychological profile built around the idea that hurt people hurt people. This concept is there's no peace for the wicked. So they may be doing wicked things to certain people, but I can promise you internally there is no peace there. Their wickedness, their power, their uh, frustrations on everybody else when they bully people and they get their way, when they manipulate people and get their way, they are no more happy. No more happy. Then the most meek and mild of persons just live in their life like Micah 6a. To live justly, right? To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The most vicious and the most powerful. They end up with themselves wicked and restless all the days of their life. Their vulnerability is going to come. And Saul's is right now. Saul is taken out of the position of power and he is put in the position of vulnerability. And God is going to show him a magnificent lesson. How about verse 4? Verse 4, David and the men are hidden in the cave. I don't know how far back they are or how good of whispers they are, but there's a lot of communication going on while Saul can't hear them. But David's friends, if you remember two chapters earlier, these aren't the mighty men of 2 Samuel. These are the discontented souls of 1 Samuel 22, and they're looking at David and saying, Hey, right now's your chance. Right now, do this, finish this, take care of this. They're good friends, but they give bad advice. Friends, let me tell you something. Some of you all have wonderful friends, some of them may be young Christians. You may have wonderful friends, but they may give you horrible advice. Just because they love you, just because they care about you, doesn't mean their advice is going to be good. You may miss blessings and you may miss power and authority in your life by listening to people that even claim to be Christian. Because you and I both know there's fellowship and ministry. And so my blood-bought family, my church family is actually closer to me than my blood-born family when there's a spiritual difference between the two. The blood-bought under Jesus Christ is the one that gets preeminence. And even in that family, there are people that will give you poor advice because they're not familiar enough with the scripture or they're not matured enough or discipled enough yet to actually know what the word says about how to interact with people so some of you all have gone to good people for advice but they've given you bad advice that's why in in a multitude of counselors there is peace find somebody with a little gray hair and some Christian tenure and run through them the things that you're planning or plotting let them help you There are people in this church right now that would love nothing more than a phone call. They want to pass to you their wisdom. They want to help you. I'm a father of five. I don't don't want to see one of my kids go through one of the issues that I created for myself. If I had the opportunity to pitch to them every life lesson I have learned, you better believe that it would happen immediately. Don't do that. Don't do that. There are Christian people right now that will do the same thing for you. Make sure when you're getting advice from good friends, they're not giving you bad advice. I love verse 4 because David bites on a piece of their advice, but it's tempered. It's not a full-out reaction. If he kills the king at their advice, there's no going back. A tempered reaction allows room to back up and reevaluate without dropping the grenade and walking off. Does that make sense? Sometimes when we're dealing with difficult people, it's really easy to say, I'm throwing this grenade and I'm walking away. If you temper your reaction down a little bit, if we bring about some calm and some peace, if we go one step instead of the five, maybe we'll get a better ending. You see, David has an opportunity to back up. He has an opportunity to grieve something that he thought about doing. That's a different animal than to grieve something you've just done. David cuts the corner of the robe off of King Saul's robe and it grieves his heart immediately in verse 5. He is already grieved. If he had plunged his dagger in the king, there would be no going back. There would be no fixing the problem. The repentance may be there, but the consequences are there. When you're dealing with difficult people, remember to temper, to, to, to withdraw some of that rage, some of that anger, slow it down, back it up, get good, give good advice, and then leave room to repent as you progress. Look at verses 5-7. to seven. David was a man after God's own heart. We've talked about this constantly, and it is the peace of his life that just surrounds it, anchors it, Draws him in. It's why even in the midst of colossal failure, when we will get to David's life, you and I will see colossal failure. It's why even in the midst of that, he's still known as a man after God's own heart. He was able to grieve. He was sensitive of spirit. Look at verses 5 to 7. The power to see God work comes from a sensitive heart. First in me, And if I will allow that sensitive heart in me to be moved and pushed and prodded and repent and to deviate and not do what I was getting ready to do, if I will be sensitive like that, the Lord will let me see Him work everywhere. People that hear God and obey God internally see Him work in every situation. They know he's there. They know he's working. That sensitive spirit that starts in me opens that line of communication that draws me close and opens my eyes. And it will open yours too. If you and I will allow the Lord to move us, to guide us, to shove us, sometimes when we really need it, maybe just kick us right in the rear in the direction we need to go. If you and I will listen, you'll see him work everywhere else. David sees it immediately. David sees God work immediately. David's lament is basically, I need to stay in my lane. I shouldn't have done that, Lord. I should have not done it. It's immediate. I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me, Father. And then he goes out and he finishes this passage with that idea. But I love verse 7. Please, if you circle, scribble, underline in your Bible, Verse 7, look at this, because this is where David sees God work immediately. He works in his heart, and then he works through his life. Look at verse 7. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and he left the cave and went on his way. You say, how is that a picture of David seeing God work? Because David's men are basically sitting in a latrine. They're in a port of john with David, and they would rather be there than kill the king themselves and fight for the throne. God gives David supernatural persuasion, supernatural authority. And instead of a group of ragtag individuals now starting their own war and kicking him aside because he's not radical enough for them, They're living in the cave. They're hiding with him. They're running for their lives. They would rather be in that port of John with David than they would be trying to set up their own kingdom without him. That is clout. That is persuasion. That is authority. Because of his leadership, his men would rather camp in a latrine by his side than start a revolt and fight for the throne without him. Happy Father's Day. You understand what I'm saying? That's clout. That's persuasion. That's authority. I'd rather camp in the mess with my father. I would rather camp in the mess with some of you than I would be trying to start up my own revolt and revolution and kingdom without you. That is power. That's the power of a father figure when they're doing it right. There's safety here. There's comfort here. And when you got a Christian man, there is God's blessing here. That to me makes my hair stand up. That's leadership. That's what it looks like to have God dictate your steps and then bless everyone else. Because of how you love and honor Him, those around you are supremely blessed. That was one of the most convicting ideas I've ever seen in Scripture. They would rather sit there with him in a mess and try to start their own kingdom without him. What a powerful testimony. See, David is a man of honor. And in verses 8 to 11, we see this idea. How does a man or woman finish their life surrounded by men and women of honor? How are you and I going to do that? Number one is they model it. David models it. He honors the Lord's anointed. Even if you could could mess with Scripture and say, this is my promise, this is my kingdom, I am going to take him out and take the throne. Samuel has already anointed my head. I am the king, he told me so. I am the one that fought Goliath. I am the one. Even if he could do those things, even if he wanted to, he still models honor. And then he demands it. Friends, that's where we need to be. We need to model it first. And then we need to demand it from those that want to be in our presence. You're not going to usurp David's authority. You're not going to jump in front of him and do those things and be able to reside with him the days of his life. You're going to have to honor his authority. You and I should expect the same thing. You you should expect it from your children. I'm going to tell you that right now. You should absolutely expect it, demand it, model it, and then demand it, especially when they're little. Figure out what it's like to honor authority in your home, under your hand, and then push for it like crazy, because if you don't, when you turn them loose and they're an adult, they will honor no one. The Bible promises if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword, right? If you live in dishonor, you will not honor honor anyone. You will not honor parents. You will not honor authority of law enforcement. You will not honor government. And all of a sudden, you will not honor God Almighty. There's a common thread that runs. Demand it right now. The difference between 3 and 13 is a different animal. Make sure the 3-year-old understands that there's honor. You show them it, you model it, and then you demand it from them. And you demand the same things from your friends. Don't let the people that get close to you dishonor your name by how they act. Let me give you just the, 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 the fastest cheat on how you know who you're sitting across from. Go out to eat with them, have a server mess something up, and watch how they react. It's a very simple test to know who you're dealing with. Go out. Sit down, eat, watch how they act, listen to them on the phone with their spouse, with their significant other, listen to them talk about their children, pay attention to what's going on. Model honor and then demand it what happens when you and I do that, like even if we can make up all these different things, right? I'm the Lord's anointed. The Lord has promised me that my enemies are going to be crushed. The Lord has the power to do. He's given me the power now to do it. He put him right there in front of me. I ought to be able to follow through. And even when his friends say, do it, David is not able to pull the trigger on something God is going to frown upon. He's going to live an honorable life. See, David's character allows him to honor God and correct the malicious. He's allowed to honor God and he's allowed to correct the malicious. Because what happens when David walks out of the cave? He says, King, you're listening to people that are telling you lies. Your own heart is telling you lies. I have proof right now that you are being led astray. There are people telling you that I am trying to harm you. I have proof right here that it's all a lie. You should have just been mine, and I let you go. Do you see what happens when you and I keep our character above board in these fights? In these moments of nastiness, in this office politics, or at school, or middle school, or high school. Do you see what happens when you keep your character above the fray? Eventually you'll get to the point where you get to stand up and say, this is not correct. This is wrong. This is a lie. This is evil. But as soon as you and I get down in the mud and we start fighting like the world, we lose that. You lose the opportunity. You've tarnished your testimony. So when David walks out, he's grieving what he's done, but still in the middle of that, he gets to look at Saul and say, you're being told lies. The people around you are lying. They are hurting you. They are hurting the kingdom. Honoring the Lord allows one to stand under His protection. As soon as you do not honor God with your reactions, you are forfeiting God's protection. I nod your head if you hear what I'm saying right there. Do you want to fight your battles or do you want the Lord to fight them for you? Every once in a while, you and I do have to engage some things that aren't correct, but you don't get to fight like the world. You must fight like a believer. It is open. It is up front. It is not in gossip or back door. It is not character assassination. It's not waiting until it builds and then blowing off and then telling everybody, well, that's just me. It's none of that stuff. The Bible's clear. Somebody sins against you, you address it, and you go through the process. But if you engage outside the realm of what God has called honorable, you forfeit the protection that God's offered. You're basically fighting your own fight. And there are scars, always scars. Ultimately, God's still in control. But there are always scars when you and I start to fight like the world and we get out from under His protection. We lose the opportunity to beg for His help. You see, some of the greatest things you're going to need in your life are perseverance, courage, and wisdom. They come from God as good gifts. But if you and I want to get mad and we want to fight like the world, as soon as I start sinning against the Lord... I don't get the opportunity to ask him for what he bestows freely. I don't get the opportunity to ask him for good gifts. Lord, I need your wisdom in how to deal with this. I need your courage. I need your determination, your perseverance. They're all gone. All I have left is what is within me. And it is a very low fuel load. It runs out real quick. We lose the opportunity to... Beg for his help, and finally this. You know the book of Revelation says the martyrs are standing around the throne of God begging for his justice. That should scare a lot of people. When you and I fight our own fights, we miss the opportunity. We are removed from the opportunity to pray for justice. God, do the right thing. I didn't deserve this. I didn't want this. This shouldn't have happened. Lord, help me. Bring about a good ending. There's a real uh, detailed aspect to the idea of flaming coals. And in the context of how we interact with those that hate us, in the context of how we interact with our enemies, this is a fascinating study. The idea of what hot coals look like, especially in the Old Testament into the New Testament. As I was reading, I was looking, there's like a they're, they're a triple-edged. They're not a double-edged sword. It's like a triple-edged sword. Romans 12, 20 says this to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That quotation from Paul comes from Proverbs chapter 25. Jesus would say the same thing. Right? Bless those that curse you, return good for evil. These are the teachings of Jesus. And this idea of this burning coal, right? You'll, you'll, you'll pull burning coals out on his head. Well, you can see them in a couple different ways. Number one, there's the idea of shame. There's the idea of shame. The idea of shame, when they're interacting with you, when they see the purity and the love of God on your heart, comes out of your mouth, the way you react to them, there's shame. There's a shaming that goes on that even their Uh, life, something's wrong, there's judgment. Because it is true. When the wicked are beat up, when the wicked are persecuted, that person doing that, unless they repent, when they meet their maker, their judgment will be worse. The judgment of God will be poured out on them, that's Psalm 140. Like burning coals, the judgment of God will be poured out. And it will never be satisfied. And so when they are nasty to you, when you do not deserve it, if they die in their sin, the punishment doled out on them will be more than you could ever give. It will be so much more than you could ever give. And then finally, here is the sweetest piece of this. Isaiah chapter 6 shows the idea of a burning coal touching the lips of Isaiah. It makes him ready for service. It brings about a purity. His lips are clean. His sin has been atoned for. And so the idea, the last idea of this triple-edged sword is purification. Sometimes when you and I react properly to those that are mistreating us, the Lord uses that to heap on burning coals that lead to repentance. That the fires of God are rolled out on someone, refining and drawing them into a relationship with God. And it happens not because of your nastiness and not because of your power. It happens because of your meekness. And your response, like Jesus, Father forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, was His response to those. Divine coals, verses 16 to 20, you'll see them all there. Godly responses lead to godly outcomes. Listen friends, our message and our method must match Scripture If you have the right message and the wrong method, you will be cold and nasty and lose the opportunity to be a witness and a help. If you have the right method and the wrong message, you lead people to hell. And so these two pieces must come. They are divine coals. They must come together. Godly responses lead to godly outcomes. Verse 16, what do we see? Saul weeps. The king weeps. Why? For his own shame. He's ashamed of himself, ashamed of the way he's acted. Verses 17 to 19, he says, You are more righteous than I, David. There is a repentance here. I don't believe this is a godly repentance that leads to salvation. It doesn't seem that his life changes, but in that moment there is a turning away from something vicious and vile. David, you are more righteous than I am. We pray in our life that that repentance becomes one that draws them into the kingdom. Verse 20 the kingdom will be yours. Judgment. When Saul whispers that, he is declaring his own judgment. Why? Because the kingdom should be his son's, the kingdom should be of his lineage. But Saul looks at David and says, I know now that the kingdom is going to be yours. The honorable are given, and what's given is established. And again, I look at you and say, Happy Father's Day. You have been given something precious. Now make sure it's established. The honorable are given things, and in that giving, they are established for long-term blessing. Ownership and blessing. Stewardship and blessing. Never forget that. Saul looks at David and says, You're honorable. You're righteous. The kingdom will be yours, and not only will it be yours, but it will be established. And man, how that prophetic word comes to pass when Jesus comes again and sets up the throne. Never again to be deviated from. Never again to have the world in chaos and disarray. And then even in verses 21 and 22, as we get ready to finish up, what do we have? We have the idea that Saul ends up asking for a favor. That's power. You ever had people be nasty to you and then maybe a couple months, a year later, a couple years later, they come back in and they ask you for a favor? I've had people text me or message me or email me and ask me to pray for things. It's an amazing moment of power that God is using you to influence them. Even those that are mad at you call up and ask for help. Even those that hate you or despise you know that when the chips are down and their life is falling apart, wait a second, I remember this one person, they had it together, at least it seemed like it. They loved the Lord, they were tapped into something different, and they will reach out and they will say, help me. And sometimes that help is only just pray for me. There is not a more beautiful, wonderful compliment on the planet than to be asked by someone to pray for them in their life. They're asking you to walk into heaven's throne room and bear their names on your lips while you speak to your heavenly father. It's an amazing testimony. Swear to me, David. And you know what's funny is King Saul did not have to do that. David's character had already played out. David's friend, David's best friend is Jonathan, Saul's son. And Jonathan had already said the kingdom's going to be yours and when it is, I'm going to be your first in command. You see, Saul asked for something that David's character was already going to do. David was already going to take care of Saul's people. He was already going to take care of Saul's son. No one else was going to bear the brunt for Saul's sin. And David wasn't even going to take out judgment on him. He left it in the hands of God. And so Saul, one of the last times he'll see David, he asks for a favor. And it was a favor he didn't even have to ask for because David's character was already good enough to have settled in his mind and in his heart that he was going to do what Saul was going to ask him for. Take care of my family. And so 1 Samuel 24, what do I want? I want us to discern the lesson. I hope this is what it looks like for you to read through Scripture. This is what it looks like for me to read through Scripture and try to pull out some of the things that God has. You read through the passage, you see it uh, as a picture, and then you start to pull out things. Saul is a hard person to get along with. He is obnoxious. He's evil. He's tried to kill David more than once. He's dishonored David's service. He's even harming the kingdom. He is that bad. He is that horrible. But you and I need to discern the lesson in 1 Samuel 24 because you're going to run into people that are hard to deal with too. The worldview matters. People are evil. And you know what? Sometimes they didn't start that way, but boy, they're hurt. They sure were made that way. And one of the hardest things in the world is to understand that someone else is mad at somebody else, but they're going to take it out on you. That's what happens in a good family, honestly. That's why we all know that when we walk home heated from work, we walk in and start slamming doors and taking it out on people. Why? Because we know they love us, and they're going to deal with it, hopefully. Right? Unless you pull the trigger on something too big and they hit you in the head with a frying pan or something. But people are evil, they are hurt, so they hurt people in response. Sometimes you're just bearing the brunt of somebody they can't hurt. Maybe it's a loved one that passed away, a father or mother that's no longer here. Maybe they were abused as a child. I don't know what to tell you. I know this, they've got an enemy, and that enemy's been torturing them since day one. He's been whispering lies in their ears since day one, and now you're trying to figure out, why are they so mad at me? It's just because they're mad at everybody, or they're mad at themselves, or they're mad at someone they can't be mad at anymore because that person's left. People are evil. Just put that in your filing cabinet. It's part of life. They're frail, they're vulnerable, they're mortal. They know all those things, we know all those things. Their body hurts, their mind hurts. Their family's a mess. They've got a a brother or sister or son or a daughter that's making a mess out of their life. Do you understand now? Like, they come with all that baggage too. Our worldview matters. See them sometimes. some, Some people are just wicked. But see them sometimes as a victim. Pray for them as a victim, and it will change the way you see them. Outdo them in honor. What happens when you outdo people in honor? I love this idea. Everybody in your crew, all of your people, you know who they're going to be? They're going to be your people. When somebody starts to lie, you want to protect your character. Be the same person around enough people that they know who you are. Because when somebody wants to lie and nitpick and try to hurt you and harm you, they're going to eventually run into the bus of somebody that knows you. On the backside of that, if you and I want to be people of honor, don't let someone else run someone else's name through the dirt. While you're standing there listening. Out of all the things that God hates. Proverbs 7 says that's an abomination. He or she who sows discord among the brothers. Start drawing some lines in your personal conversation. You want to kill a church? Make it unsafe. How do you make it unsafe? Have gossip flow through it. Be people of honor. That way when your crew is there. Those 400 men. They were David's men. You and I can build the same thing. Remember your divine leverage. Pray. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Remember that the judge loves you and he is paying attention. You lash out on your own. God don't fight your battles. He loves you and he's paying attention. In the worst case scenario, temporarily, maybe your life is horrible. Eternally, it will be blessed. You will be rewarded beyond your wildest dreams. Because you honored God even in the worst of situations. It's hard to honor the Lord when your relationships are great and your job is good and your belly is full. Right? Bills are paid. But man, you get in trouble, you get hurt, you get down, you get out, something's going on, somebody's mistreating you, the job is a mess, things are out of your control. It gets really easy to honor God then when you and I act like believers. When we really act like he loves us, when we really act like he's in control, we get... Amazingly blessed. Not only now, but forevermore. And finally, this morning, there's always a lot of talk about how you interact with people that are destructive. As they come forward to play, I'm going to leave you with just one thought. You can go your separate ways. You don't have to continually set yourself up to be the pinata you don't have to continually set yourself up to be the broken one the hurt one when they're lobbing nasty words when they're lobbing real violence when they are trying to hurt you when they're trying to do this, you do not have to sit there and take it on repeat at the end of this story Saul says all the right things and him and David still go their separate ways A lot of people have tremendous guilt by this idea. Sometimes the only way you can honor that person, they are so vicious, they are so vile, their heart and their soul are so broken that the only way you can honor them and not be hurt is to pray for them. Sometimes that's it. And if you will pray for them, really, God will change you and he will work in that situation. He's not always going to draw them close. But I promise you, he will make you strong enough. He will give you the opportunities to bring glory to the king. But I I, I find constantly having conversations with people where they don't understand you can leave a relationship. Some of you have parents, especially fathers, that don't deserve the title. You don't have to walk back into that house and be cursed or hurt or hit ever again. But you're not allowed to hate them. You're not allowed to fight an earthly battle in a spiritual realm. Pray for wisdom. Pray for God to touch them and draw them close. Pray for God to heal them. And then when the time is right and the Lord tells you go, then be a minister to them. Some people have such a hard time with the idea that, like, well, i got to keep walking back into this situation. This person is just vicious and violent, and if I don't do it, I feel bad, I feel guilty. That is the enemy speaking to you. The Holy Spirit will tell you exactly what to do. If you want to honor him and love him, but being constantly around vicious people that hurt you, manipulate you, uh, try to hurt your character or hurt your life, is not one of the things God wants you to sign up for. There's ministry and there's fellowship. Fellowship is safe people that love you and want to see God work. Ministry is people that you and I come in and out of because you have to have the break. You can't be there all the time around ministry. They'll suck you dry, especially when they're close enough and they should be loving on you and taking care of you, and they have betrayed those things. Be very, very careful. You can go your separate ways. David does, even though Saul says all the right things. I'm sorry you're more righteous the kingdom is yours and David still goes the other way he still honors the king and you and I can do that too would you stand with me this morning if you need something you come if you want to lay something down you come the Lord is good the Father is good and he loves you